Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things, friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Today we light the candle of shepherds who were caught by surprise at the heavenly proclamation that God was in the process of revealing himself to the world in a new way. In accordance with your promises, we wait for new heavens and a new earth, where righteousness is at home and justice prevails. We wait for the coming of the day of God, when the lion shall lay down with the lamb, when there will be true peace on earth. O Lord, revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your steadfast love and grant us your salvation. Let us hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his faithful, to those who will turn to him in their hearts. Let us prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, so that his presence may dwell. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to them and cry to them that a light will shine in the darkness, that God's presence will be revealed, that newness will come. Let us prepare. Surely his salvation is at hand for those who fear him, that his presence may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness will meet. Righteousness and peace will prevail. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. The Lord will give what is good, and there will be peace on earth. Righteousness will go before him, and will make a path for his steps. O Lord, give us eyes to see your presence in the midst of the darkness around us. Do not let us give up hope that you are at work in our midst to make all things new. Let us go now to Bethlehem to see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. You may be seated. Thank you, young folks. For doing that, and thank you to Dr. Bratcher and Robin Stevenson Bratcher who helped to fashion those those readings. They are great, um, and we need them. We are in the second week of a sermon series that is entitled "To Be Continued." 
We are in the second week of Advent, which means coming or arrival. So not only do we uh, celebrate, are we moving towards celebrating the coming of Christ, but we are also living in anticipation of Christ's final coming when all things will be made new. And so we live kind of in between the times. We know that God has already moved in specific and substantial sorts of ways and things are changing, but things haven't finished changing yet. And so we live in those in-between times in this posture of expectation, anticipation, we are in preparation, and we longing and ache for God to finally set all things to rights, and all of God's people said, Amen. man, that is good stuff. Now, hear, hear this. Here's what we mean when we say to be continued, right? Here's what we mean. What we mean is what God was doing and what we're going to talk about today that we see all the way back in Isaiah chapter 40, we see God still doing in the Christ event in this Jesus character who was born and lived and died and was raised to life and then ascended and then all that happens surrounding Pentecost. We believe that God is still doing what God does, bringing health and hope and newness and restoration. And we believe that God is going to continue that motion and that movement all the way into and then through 2017 in Oklahoma City. And again, all of God's people said, and we've got to try to figure out how we can help God do what God's already doing, what God's already doing, which causes me to need to discuss something with you. Uh, this is what we're going to talk about today is a pronouncement, which should be distinguished from an announcements. We had a guy that used to go to church here who was famous for the announcements that he would slip into his prayer time. He would say, dear Lord, help everybody to remember that all the college students will be gathering at 4.30 and bringing their favorite snacks. And uh, those are announcements, right? Announcements are informational. Pronouncements are transformational. Pronouncements change things. Announcements tell you what's happening, and they're good, and they're great, and we should continue to do announcements. That's what Jason does every week on the video. I thought it was particularly stunning today, Jason. I thought it was great. Pronouncements are different. Here, here's where you will typically hear me use the word pronouncement, right? I now pronounce you man and wife. What that does in that moment is it changes things. Something is different. The future is different because of the pronouncement. I have great news for you today. What we have in Isaiah 40 is not just an announcement. It's not just information. What we have from the very voice of God, from the very lips of God, is a pronouncement. God shapes the future by God's words today. And that may not feel like great news to you just yet, but typically, typically, it's because we're not paying attention just yet. Not, not just to me, but perhaps to what God is doing. God has made this pronouncement, and you hear echoes of it every week when you hear somebody up here, and Brandon said it perfectly today, God's mind about you is made up, and the news is. Guys, that's not an announcement. That is a pronouncement. It transforms reality. It changes things. 
God's mind about us and all of creation is made up and the news is good. God has said, I will give myself to them. I will give myself to all of creation and I will restore all things. I am busy doing it. Now, that doesn't mean everything's fixed yet. But God has said, in a pronouncement, I am yours. I am yours. And it can and it is changing things if we're ready for it. My suspicion is that we underappreciate, you hear me say this mostly during the season of Easter, the season of Easter, because we, we, we don't really know what to do with the resurrection. We have some idea what to do with the cross. We, we understand there to be some sort of transaction that causes us to finally be in a better place where God's concerned. So we think we kind of know what to do at the cross, but the resurrection, which is another huge evidence of the pronouncement of God, we're not sure what to do with the resurrection. In the same sort of way, I'm not sure we know what to do with God's pronouncement that God is with us and for us. I'm not sure that we know what to do with it. In fact, I, I would say this, and and. I'm, I'm not blaming anybody else because I think I've been a part of this problem myself at various points along my ministerial career. I think we have allowed faith to be described in terms that are too small. Too small. I think we've allowed people to imagine that faith is just about securing one's eternity. If I can just be good enough. If I can finally stop doing that bad thing and start doing a good thing, then finally, God's future will be mine. But what if I were to say to you that that, the individual part of faith, as helpful and necessary as it is at times, what if I were to say to you that that is so far beneath God's highest hopes and dreams for all of us and all of creation? What if I were to say to you that your fixation on your individual place in eternity is so far beneath what God wants to dream for all of us that if you just stay right there and fixate right there, you probably aren't doing it right? Really? Not super excited about that? Okay. It's possible. If the sum total of your faith is finally trying to get your body under control so that you stop doing bad things or at least are forgiven for the bad things you can't seem to stop doing. If that is the sum total of faith, I have bad news, but then really good news. The bad news is, I'm not sure you're doing it right. The good news is, there's so much. The good part is still out there for you. The best part, the better part, is still out there for you. If we take seriously the pronouncement of God that we can hear pretty clearly in Isaiah 40. Now let me set the scene for you. Uh, The first book of Isaiah, chapters 1 to 39, is pretty much a giant 39-chapter bad news story. The people of God have been wrong. They have wandered away from God. They have wandered into the arms of competitor gods and other kingdoms. And and God finally says most clearly in chapter 6, I have had it. There will be punishment. There will be ramifications. There will be repercussions for the decisions that you have made to follow other gods. And sure enough, it comes in the form of Assyria 
just conquers the northern kingdom. It comes in the form of Babylon, conquers the southern kingdom and carries them off into captivity. It comes in the form of exile. Jason does a great job. If you have not yet taken disciple, you need to take disciple. And you need to take disciple because you need to hear what Jason says about exile. Exile is crucial to our understanding of who we are and more importantly, who God is. It's crucial, crucial punishment. And it took so long Punishment took so long that there were people who started to wonder whether or not God mattered anymore, whether or not God was paying attention anymore, whether or not there was a God anymore. They were just languishing in thorough and deep anguish, in exile, in captivity. And then chapter 40, God makes a pronouncement. And the pronouncement goes like this comfort. The Middendorf Revised Standard Version goes like this. I am coming for you in all the best sorts of ways. <laughs> comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, I am coming for you, says God. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Okay, so there's all this evening going on right here, the, the evening of the ground, the straightening of the path, so as to pave the way, quite literally, for this reunion that will happen between God and God's people because God has pronounced, I am coming for you in the best possible way. God has pronounced, I am coming for you. I am coming for you. I am coming against captivity. I am coming against your captors. I don't care, says God, what Nebuchadnezzar thinks. I don't care what Babylon wants. I am coming for my people. I'm paving the way. Get ready. Get ready and the rough places a plain. Now, this is interesting. Now, there's this little bit of an argument right here in, in the 40th chapter, and I'm not sure who is having this argument. I know it's God on one side. I don't know if it's the heavenly council that advises God on the other side, or if it's a doubting prophet who has seen with his own eyes. I don't know, God. I don't know, I don't know. If you've seen these believing people, they don't seem to be up to it. They, they don't seem to be up to it. They're, they're kind of like, like grass. They're constantly is like the flower of the field. So God makes this pronouncement. I am coming for you. I'm going to have you again. You're going to be my people. I'm going to wrestle your captors to the ground. It's a good time for you to be taking stock of who your captors might be. What is the nature of your captivity? So God says, I am coming for my people. I am coming against all of these captors. I am coming against captivity, only to have the prophet then say, yeah, okay, you're gonna go commit to them, but guess what? They're not gonna commit to you. Now, they might for the first 30 minutes or so. Kind of like John at camp, you know. Kind of like John at church camp. I gotta tell you, the first 30 minutes after the Thursday night service, I was a fantastic Christian. <laughs> Amen. It's almost as if the, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was saying, they'll be all like, kind of like him. They're going to say yes, because that's what Christians do, right? Christians say yes, sometimes one hand, sometimes two hands, yes, 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 yes. And then Monday. Then Monday. 
They're constantly is like, their constancy is like grass, or people like grass, and they're constantly like the flower of the field. Another way to say it is, they just aren't very sturdy. You have chosen a people who aren't very sturdy. They may not respond very well. They, they may say a yes, which is actually a no in disguise. And they may say yes today and only 45 minutes later say no when they're no longer frightened or no longer grateful because they've forgotten. They may say no after they say yes. The prophet seems to be arguing with God here. Are you sure? Have you chosen the right people? God says, yep. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, and surely, yep, these people are grass because no one should know better than God that people are people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of, the God, of our God will stand forever. It is almost as if God says, yeah, I know, prophet, I know who I'm dealing with. I know who I'm dealing with here. I, I know people. I, I made people. I know what kinds of people they are. I'm just telling you right now, what matters more than their yes to me is my yes for them, and I say yes for them. And I say yes for them. So prophet, get busy. Get busy announcing to my people comfort. Get busy announcing to my people, I am coming for them in the best sorts of ways. Announce it to them, not because their responses will be perfect, but because God says, I said so. I will have them. They will be mine. I will win. Grace is supposed to be the means whereby God restores a life and all of life. I don't know if I'm actually getting through or not, but I want to say to you again, I want to say to you again, the most powerful, formative force in the universe is not threat. The most powerful formative force in the universe. If we're talking about the means whereby people are moved toward Christ's likeness, if we're talking about the means whereby people are moved into the people of God so that they can take up the mission of God, the most powerful force to shape people into and for that mission is not threat, it is undeserved grace. No? We still want to exclude, that'll teach them, that'll teach them. If we exclude them, that'll get them right in line. We still want to threaten, that'll teach them, that'll teach them. We still want to frighten people, that'll, that'll do it right there. But doesn't God say here in Isaiah 40, no, I think grace will do grace's work <laughs> and grace will change Zacchaeus. Grace will change the woman caught in the act of adultery. This, this just blows my mind. Every time I bring up this, this story, right, of the woman caught in the act of adultery, the response to me, you remember the story, right, where Jesus, she is caught, she's caught, she's guilty of adultery. 
and people are quoting scripture to Jesus and they're saying, hey, the Bible says we should stone her, what do you think? And Jesus, who is actually God, <laughs> says, well, if you're without sin, you can throw the first stone. And then, recognizing their own sinfulness, they all walk away. Please pay careful attention to this right here, okay? They all walk away. Jesus scoops her up, gathers her up, and says, where are all your accusers? They are gone, sir. And Jesus said to her, I don't condemn you either. I tell that story because I want to say, yeah, grace, grace, grace. Jesus seems to understand that grace is a better way to move that woman toward Christ-likeness. And the response is always, yeah, but he said, go now and leave your life of sin. Okay, yeah, he says that. After we've had this amazing moment of grace, he does say to her, yes, take full advantage of this grace. But the biggest word that is spoken in that passage is grace. Come on. The biggest word spoken in every passage is grace. Amen. We're talking about a pronouncement. God committing God's self to creation and to the people of God and to all the people. God believing deeply that somehow grace will win out and make all things new. But John, then how am I going to finally exclude the people I don't disagree, that I disagree with? When do I get to differentiate between me and those other people who don't believe like me and those other people who don't like me? When do I get to do that? Oh, man. How about this? God's mind about that other person is made up. And the news is good. You don't get to make it bad news. You don't get to be, you don't get to be the person who takes this great news, who then gets to turn it into bad news. You don't get to be that person. Not, not and tell the truth. Yes, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. It's just that God's mind about him or her God's mind about those people, you know who they are. In fact, maybe you should write this in your Bible somewhere. God's mind about those people is made up and the news is good for them too. So I guess I better deal with it. Really, there should be a better amen there, right? Unless, unless we feel like it's somehow our responsibility to take this amazing pronouncement of grace and make it something less than that. But I think what we're supposed to do is take this amazing pronouncement of grace and put skin on it. Zion, herald of good tidings, gospel, good news. Lift up your voice with strength. Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. So it's not just that you're supposed to receive this good news, you're supposed to trumpet this good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judea, here is your God. And by the way, this God, his mind about you is made up, and the news is good. Let me ask you a question. We have a few empty seats. What would happen 
if the people of God were to take seriously their opportunity and responsibility to be the people who say, everywhere you will go this week, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. Might there be a few folks out there who are wondering whether or not the news is good, who know fully who they are and who they aren't, might there be a few people out there who might need to hear that word of hope, the pronouncement that is not supposed to stop with you, but is supposed to move in and then through you to everybody else. Good news, you see that word there in Isaiah 40. Good news, gospel. Strangely enough, you hear it again in Mark chapter one. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the son of God. In other words, God is still doing what God is doing, putting skin and flesh on the pronouncement of God, and there is no greater evidence of the pronouncement of God, that God is with and for us, than Emmanuel, Jesus. Now, there was this voice that came before Jesus, just before God by the name of John the Baptist, right? Remember him? Crazy person. Crazy person. And if there was one word that would sort of sum up the message of John the Baptist, I mean, in our minds, and our hearts, we kind of envision John the Baptist as the crazy person wearing animal skins, pointing and saying what word? Repent. 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 John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All right. We talked about it a little bit in our Sunday school class today. I, I, think, I think what we've done, I'm gonna need that, that screen back there when you get a chance. I think what we've done is we've made this word repentance a part of a very small understanding of faith. Here's what I mean. You get the impression sometimes that really all that God is after is that moment that perhaps you might spend at an altar when you finally own up to the fact that you've done bad. You've done badly. I think there are a lot of Christians who believe that the ultimate hope of faith and the ultimate work of the church is to finally get somebody to the place where they can finally and honestly repent, confess, and receive forgiveness. There are some people who believe that that's what we're here to do. End of story, that's how we define success. We're even asked at times when we do our reports, how many people did you get to make that particular decision? As if that is the end all be all of faith. People. It is not the end-all, be-all of faith. Repentance, it's a good thing. And really what it means is to turn, reorient. Confession of what you have done, wrong. That's a good thing too. Receiving forgiveness, I highly recommend you do that. (laughs) But hear me, again, there's not supposed to be a period after Repent and confess and receive forgiveness. It really should just be a comma. And what comes after that comma is hugely important. It's not just repent. 
It's not just confess. It's not just receive forgiveness. As important as all of those things are, but the greatest of our theology, the greatest pieces of our faith come after all of that because it's in the repenting, the turning, the reorienting, and the confession and the forgiveness that you clear the way and finally are able to receive all that God has for you. And that's where the greatest news is because God's mind about you is made up and the news is good, but you won't know it if you haven't repented and confessed and received this forgiveness so that you can finally see how desperately and how deeply and how passionately God loves you and then see all that God has in store as you live in response to the love of God. This is how God will move through all of creation making all things new, not just because you finally own up to what you've done poorly or badly, but because you finally come face to face with the grace that changes everything. So let's put a comma where so many put a period. It is, it is important that people repent. It is, it is important that we cultivate, cultivate a posture of confession. It is important that we ask for, that we seek and receive forgiveness. But it's not because in doing so, we change our status before God. Are you listening? It's because when we finally do those things and we finally turn our shoulders and are oriented to the face of God seen most clearly in the person of Christ, it's when we finally repent and confess and receive this forgiveness that we can finally look fully in the face of the God who knows us deeply and still chooses us, and then we can live in grateful response to grace that we don't deserve. That's why we call it grace. And a life lived in response to grace will always be of a higher moral character and always be a more effective mission and testimony than a life lived in response to threat or guilt. In other words, repentance, confession, forgiveness are all steps. They're not the end all, be all, but they are all steps toward the greater goal. And the greater goal is this, that you would know how much God loves you. That you would know how much God loves all of us. That you would know how much God loves and then find yourself living in grateful response to the worldwide thing that God is doing because God pronounced already and the news is good. There was, in August of this year, an eclipse, remember? Incredible, incredible, incredible. There was an eclipse that captured headlines and millions and millions of people saw it. People drove long distances to get a first, a front row seat. Here's the thing though. <laughs> this huge creation-wide thing that was going on. Some people did not see it. I actually have studied and I know who didn't see it. Would you like to know who didn't see it? The folks that wouldn't look.
You know who didn't see the eclipse? The folks that wouldn't look. Too busy. Too entertained. Perhaps addicted to something. Apathetic. Just didn't bother. The folks who wouldn't look didn't see it. And they missed this incredible generational event that put on huge display the beauty of the cosmos and the imagination and creativity of our God. Because they wouldn't look. The pronouncement comes to you like a giant cosmic event. Are you looking? The pronouncement, I am with you, I am for you, I am coming for you, it is yours. But so many of us will not receive it because we aren't looking. We haven't yet repented and reoriented. We haven't done the things that clear the way, that clear the path. And so we don't actually drink deeply of this huge thing that God has done because God has pronounced a particular posture toward us. And yet so many will not see it, experience it, understand it because they just won't bother. Advent is the perfect season for you, do the right, for you to do the right kinds of preparations, for me to do the right kinds of preparations so that I can see the larger thing that God is doing, making good on God's pronouncement. So don't be too busy. Don't be too entertained. Be wary of an apathy or an addiction that would keep you from seeing what is there to see. The pronounced posture of God of comfort and solidarity and rescue. Look no further than this table. We gather around this table every week. And I hope you see what we're doing we are every week rehearsing and reminding ourselves of God's posture toward us. We are rehearsing then a posture of grateful response to God every year. Remember what we're doing here. Broken body and shed blood. Please remember that if you find yourself in these moments ready and willing and able to repent, confess, and receive the forgiveness that is offered here, please remember that that is not all there is to do, explore, achieve. But it does clear the way for the God and the gospel that is on the way. So if you're helping us, would you come and set this table? Heavenly Father, bless these elements and by them, Lord, strengthen us to be your people. Help us to see how it is that this pronouncement, your pronouncement of love for us and this posture of pronouncement toward us, help us to see how it is that this can change how we go about our Sundays and our Mondays.
Father, no doubt there are people in the room who do need to repent, confess, and receive forgiveness. And my prayer right now is that this would be one of those times, one of those moments that folks would see the value and the power in repentance, confession, forgiveness. But may those people, may we all understand that there is more, that that is merely preparation for the more that is on the way. Help us to see what it is that you would like for us to do with this pronouncement. Help us to be heralds of good news, glad tidings. Help us to see the larger thing that you're trying to do in and through us. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped, ready to receive these gifts of bread and cup. Come forward with your hands cupped because it is grace. It is a gift that will be placed into your hands. It is supposed to be tangible evidence of the posture of God, the posture of God, of God whose mind about you is made up and the news is good. If you ever forget, then each week, may this table be a constant reminder for you that God's mind about you is made up and the news is good because this is broken body and shed blood, symbols that make clear and evident the love and the grace of God. So I'll ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive a piece of bread. This bread will be placed into your hands one person at a time. When it gets to your hands, that person will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Hang on one second, don't go just yet, I'm sorry. I haven't done the whole ritual yet, I'm sorry. You can stay standing, it's all good. No, we're good, we're good, we're good. But take that bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. That person will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray. Perhaps it's time for you to pray that prayer of repentance. Because you need to take that incremental step to get to what it is that God has for you. The bigger, better thing that God has for you. Repentance, confession, forgiveness are incremental steps toward the better thing that God has for you. And find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, we'll assume that you're there for a prayer for healing and someone will come to you and pray with you there. If you come here to one of these kneelers benches, these mourners benches, then we won't assume anything, but somebody will stop and pray with you. Or you can circle back around and pray at your seat. There's a bowl of water here. I would encourage you to remember that you're amongst the baptized. If you've forgotten, then come touch this water. May the chill of the water jog your memory. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. After dinner, he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, and every time you drink it, remember me. Church, this is about more than repentance and confession and forgiveness. It's about everything that comes after that comma. So I invite you now to come and explore what comes after the comma. So come ahead now. Now's time. Come ahead. Come ahead. The gifts of God for the people of God. Lord, I come.
certainly uh, appropriate for you to come and pray at any point during this small session of prayer. You may want to come and support one of these already here, or maybe there's something else that the Lord's brought to mind. I'm going to pray a brief prayer of confession before getting out of the way for Jason to pray the prayer of petition and then close us in the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are a people who need to repent. People who need to confess, people who need to seek forgiveness. Help us, God, to find the courage to own how it is that we need to change. Now we have the courage to listen as you point out those things in our minds and hearts where we fall short the high calling of Christ. Give us just enough grace that we would have the capacity to look at Christ and look at ourselves and confess the difference. May we ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness. But God, help us to understand these things as you understand them, not as ends in themselves, but of steps in a process whereby we receive you. We receive this pronouncement. We receive your decision. We receive this giant grace so that we can live in grateful response and be part of the process whereby all things are restored, all things are made new. So yes, God, move us to repentance. Move us to confession. Forgive us. Clear the path and pave the way so that we, we can receive you as the rescuing God that you are. Clear the path so we can receive this grace that transforms so that we can take full advantage of your pronouncement that you have given yourself to us. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. In these moments of intercessory prayer, we want to ask you to tune your hearts and your minds and prayers to those in your life and you yourself in the ways in which you need to call upon God for his restoration, for his healing. And would you please join me in these prayers as we pray for some of our beloved members who need you. Lord, our hearts and minds and prayers go out in praying for Debbie McKenzie. Lord, we ask that you would come alongside and heal her. Even though, God, she's been placed on hospice care this week, cancer seems overwhelming. Lord, we ask for your loving presence and the promise and pronouncement of Isaiah 40 that you are coming for her. Lord, we ask for your continued healing in LaDonna Bennett's life and ask that God you would continue to come alongside her and Larry for healing. Lord, as many of the fanes have gathered in this place, we want to pray for Betty. 
as Lauren hugs D-Dad. I want to pray for Betty as she rests in Mercy Hospital. Ask God for your continued presence and touch and healing in her life. You would come alongside her even now and in the weeks to come. Lord, I ask that you would be continually with our friend Teresa Miller back in Oklahoma City but not quite ready to come back to church. Would you continue to restore her health and her life and continue, God, to come alongside this family with your love. And then we pray for Teresa for your continued healing. We say thank you for the way you've already touched her so mightily. This season of Advent, as we march towards Christmas, we want to pray for those on the margins, those who this may be a difficult season, those who've experienced loss and they may experience somewhat of a blue Christmas. Lord, we think that you'd come alongside of the Lardy family as we continue to pray for Joe. We ask God that you'd be with all of our homebound members and be with some of them today as they will get Christmas cheer in the form of caroling from our kids. Be with our kids today as they bring Christmas cheer to some of those who don't get to come to church as often as they would like. Lord, we ask that you'd be with those, Lord, who've experienced loss in, in the life of the church this week and the life of some of the friends of the church. I ask you to be with the family of Teresa Terry. Lord, we also ask God for those in the days to come that they need your special touch. And Lord, we ask you to be with those who find themselves who are incarcerated. Lord, I say my prayer and my promise that, God, that you would be with those and come for those who need you the most this Christmas season. In church, there's probably a person whose heart is heavier than all of our hearts. So in these moments, God, would you pray for that one person who's come into this sanctuary today who needs you the most? Now, God, we will continue in worship and in prayer and hope to be formed into a particular type of person and a particular type of people that pray this prayer, that we might believe this prayer week in and week out, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray, and church will pray this morning using debts and debtors, and the words will be on the screen in front of you if you would like. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power.